Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk at the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. My name is Aaron Elmore. I'm the lead pastor here at the Kirk. And before I begin, I want to make just a few editorial comments. Uh, First of all, I want to just reiterate the importance of being in a small group community of some kind. I think that's so important for our spiritual formation, for accountability, for taking the truths of Scripture and applying them to our lives consistently over time, helping us to become more like Christ. I also want to say that I I'm so proud. My heart, my pastor heart, is so proud of the Better Together ladies crystallizing their purpose around four S's and that they alliterated that. I'm just, I'm so proud of that. Uh, I also want to say I'm so grateful for our worship team and how um, every week we uh, just continue to experience the truth of Scripture, um, not only through preaching but also through music, uh, just knowing that Uh, On any given Sunday, I could not preach and we would still have gone to church, but I prepared it, so you're going to hear it. Uh, A couple of months ago, I was preparing uh, for this upcoming year, putting together the sermon series, uh, praying and and just discerning, God, what do you want for your people in this time? Because the Bible's a really big book, and so we have to be discerning uh, to know what part do we want to focus on in our preaching. And I was thinking about all the challenges that we faced in our world all the challenges that we face as a country, all the challenges that you all have as an individual that are, that are unique in your circumstances. And I was thinking, God, what do people need right now? Well, they need a lot of things. What do I need? We need hope. We need encouragement. We need relational healing. We need peace. We need help managing the stress of life. We need wisdom for making complicated ethical and moral decisions. We need guidance on integrating our faith with our work. We need help raising children. We need help caring for elderly parents. We need help stewarding our finances and living missionally. There's so much that we need. God, where do I begin? And then as I'm praying, I'm just saying, Lord, what do I need? Maybe, maybe there's something about what I need right now that would resonate with others in this experience. And really, it's pretty overwhelming to think, where do we begin when we need so much? And I think God clarified really two things for me in my heart in preparing to preach this year. The first one is the ongoing commitment to make it my primary aim to explain, prove, and apply Scripture. Don't give people TED Talks or dinner conversation, or uh, not that you can't talk about these things about dinner, but dinner speeches or a graduation speech. There's nothing wrong with a good TED Talk. You can find truth there. But if we don't focus on Scripture in church, where else are we going to get it? And so I was just renewed in my passion to try to do that as best I can. And the second thing was, where do we go? What do we focus on in a time like this? And I think what God told me was focus on the basics, the fundamentals of the faith, who I am, what I've done for you, and what your mission is to be in light of that. And so that's what we're doing. That's what we started this year with a series on the mission that we have, because God is for us. We're for others. We're for our community, and we're for the world. And then right now we're in this series called Communion. 
Focusing on the character of God, knowing him better, knowing what he is like and what he's done for us. And then in a few weeks, we're going to be in a series that I'm also excited about in the book of Romans, where we're going to get the gospel through and through. Just one of the most systematic and powerful explanations of the gospel and what God has done for us in Christ in this incredible letter. And so I hope that you will find this, whatever of those things you're going through in that list, that knowing who God is, knowing what he has done for you, and being reassured of the gospel, that that will ground you, that will heal you, and that will feed you and give you what you need for the things that you are going through. I believe all those things are specifically talked about in Scripture, and over time we hope to address those. But I think sometimes we need to go back to these basics. So this morning we're continuing this four-week series on Psalm 139. It's a powerful psalm. It speaks to the human encounter with God in all the major dimensions of life. It reflects on our understanding of God's knowledge, his presence, his power, and his holiness, and what our response should be to that. This beautiful hymn of worship leads us to understand and to celebrate that our lives are utterly in the hands of God each and every day. We're dependent upon him, and we need to be reminded of that. It's a God-first, God-focused, worshipful reflection which calls us to respond in trust and surrender and obedience. And that, my friends, is always relevant and applicable to our lives. So we've broken the psalm down into four sections, six verses apiece. The first three sections present what are known as the omni-traits of God. That is, that God is omniscient or all-knowing. God is omnipresent or all-present, and God is omnipotent or all-powerful. So the first one we talked about in week one, God knows. God knows everything. The second week, we talked about the fact that God is near. He is everywhere, and he is near to us in a specific way as his people. And so today, we're going to add to that the trait that God is all-powerful. And the more you meditate on this psalm, the more you begin to realize this is not a list of isolated traits about God. They actually all work together. They function in harmony, and when you understand one, you understand the other, that they are true about God all the time, not just things that he sometimes is, but all of these things are always true of God all the time. And of course, we want to understand these things not as a purely academic exercise. It's not just about getting knowledge in our head, about knowing the information. The goal is that we know God, that we experience communion with him, a deeper fellowship with him. We understand his love. We understand who he is, and we worship and glorify him. Because after all, that is the chief purpose of human beings, is to know God and to glorify him and enjoy him forever. So that's our hope in this psalm, is that this psalm will help us to do that. So we began this series with God knows, and in many ways, all the other ideas in the psalm are connected to that. Because God knows because he is everywhere. And he is everywhere because he is all-powerful. He can do anything. There are no limits on what God can do. He always acts in a way that's consistent with his character, but God is not limited in the same way that we are. So God knows because he's there and because he's all-powerful over all creation. If we want to know God, we have to understand his power and what that means for us. So there are a number of ways we could talk about God's power and influence in the world, but I think David has chosen to focus on two particular ways that that God's power is expressed through two different roles. The first one is God as creator. God as creator. The second one is God 
as sustainer. So we're going to look at each of those together. So this week we add to the good news that God knows and the good news that God is near two more. The fact that God is creator and sustainer. There's your summary so far of the psalm. God knows, God is near, God is creator, and God is sustainer. So let's start with God is creator. Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So last week I talked about how each of these attributes of God can be experienced on a grand scale, a cosmic scale, but also a personal scale, right? So God knows everything and God knows you. God is everywhere and he's present to you. Here we see that God is all-powerful, but yet he is also in control of your life. And it's the personal application of God's power where David places his focus at the beginning. God's omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence are woven together here in the most intimate and personal example. The beginning of your life in your mother's womb. David rightly marvels at the mystery of human life, growth, and development in these early stages. He breaks out in praise to God. He has no doubt about the greatness of the creator or the greatness of his creation. And the pinnacle of God's creation is human beings, human life. His reflection offers for us an illustration and an application of the lofty theological reflection he's done so far. He says, as you think about the greatness of God, You think about his knowledge. You think about his presence. Where do we experience each of these things coming together in one finite moment of our life? Well, let's go all the way back to the very beginning. In the beginning of your life, God, his attributes, his power, his knowledge, his presence was at work beginning your life and bringing it into the world. Perhaps before your mother even knew that she was pregnant with you, God's goodness and his grace and his power and his presence were at work in your life. Think about that. That's amazing. God, the creator, was at work for you, specifically crafting your life from the very beginning. The prophet Jeremiah experienced a similar revelation of God as creator. At the beginning of the book of Jeremiah, he says, The word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. So God knew us and loved us and made us as he knit us together. Before our mother's knew it. God was busy shaping us in her womb. God was already laying out the particulars of our lives. So this section brings all the other sections together, right? God knows everything about us. He's always present to us because he created us. He created everything, but he created you. That places us all in the same unique place, the same place where we were all, we all of our lives started in the same way. God started our life. He began bringing us together inside of our mother. So so what does that mean? If God is creator, what does that mean for us? Well, it means a lot of things, but let's start here with just two quick things. The first thing is that means that you are uniquely made by God. You. God, in his creativity and his infinite power, decided to bring you into the world. Not only that, he decided to bring you into this time and this place in history and into your particular family, no matter how broken or messy that may look like, God brought you specifically into the world right now. God made you. 
And that means that he loves you and he has a, a unique plan and purpose for your life. Now, I realize for most of us in the room, that's not a brand new revelation. You've probably heard that before. God loves you. God has a unique plan in your life. But, but I think we forget that, don't we? I mean, you are probably the hardest person on you. Yeah? Anybody? We're hard on ourselves. We, we don't always think rightly about ourselves. Sometimes that's the even harder challenge. We show love to other people and grace to other people, but not to ourselves. We forget that we were created by God who loves us, who has a unique purpose for our life, that he will see through. That is powerful. That's, that's the most important thing that human beings need. We need to know that we're loved. And God tells us all over the place, all the way through Scripture, and as we sang about this morning, he shows us he loves us with an everlasting love. The other thing that we need, especially as human beings, is purpose. Our purpose now is to love him back and to serve him and to follow him and to become like him. So if God is creator, it means you're uniquely created by him, you're loved by him, and you have a special purpose for your life. Now, I want to kind of pause here to go in a little bit of a different direction here for just a minute. Um, While it's not the thematic focus of this particular series, I think it's worth noting, and I would be remiss not to point out, that this particular verse of the Bible, you knit me together in my mother's womb, is one of the most clear places in Scripture that we see that as God's people, we are to be a people who are for life. Who are for life. And I believe you can make a biological, philosophical, and most importantly, a theological case that life begins in the womb at conception. It begins in the womb at conception. And so part of being for life is being opposed to any form of abortion, an attempt to end a life that God has brought into the world. David says, a child coming together in the womb is a beautiful handiwork of Almighty God fearfully and wonderfully made by God, our sovereign and loving creator. And that doesn't begin when a child is born. It begins at the very beginning. Look, I've, I've seen a number of ultrasounds. It's an amazing thing. David could never have imagined you can see, get a window into what's happening as God is forming a life that I've seen. I've seen the eight weeks, that little gummy bear looking. I mean, that's a, that's a, little tiny human being. It's amazing. And then as they continue to grow, you see arms and legs. And on the screen, they look really big, but they're itty bitty tiny. And you see your child flailing about on the screen and heart beating and making those little things like they're blowing kisses at you with their lips. It's amazing. It's a child. It's a life. And then to sit there and hold a brand new baby that's been born and to think this amazing child was inside of there. I don't know how that, that's amazing. It's a beautiful mystery. But it's a life. And so as God's people, we want to be for life. And I want to say a few things pastorally. First of all, if you have had an abortion or you've stood by one, or you've been a part of one, or you know someone that has had an abortion, it is not an unpardonable sin. God's mercy is wide. His grace is deep. It's not about putting sins into a hierarchy. We're all in need of the grace of God because we're sinful by nature, not because of the specific sins that we commit. So God's grace 
is available. I also want to say that being for life, being pro-life, is more than just being anti-abortion. Again, we want to be about more than just what we're against. It's what we're for. Well, we're opposed to abortion because we are for life in all its forms and all its ways. We want to be known as a people that are for life because God is the author of life. And so being for life is a biblical and theological vision for all of life from womb to tomb. From beginning to end. Because all people, all lives are made in the image and likeness of God. No matter how much that's been distorted, we are all equally created. We deserve dignity, respect, and love. So if we're pro-life, we want to help support parents and children who are vulnerable and in need. We want to be for fostering and adoption. We want to participate. We want to help those who are trying to care for little lives. We want to support policy and processes that make that accessible and possible for people. We want to create environments that counter the cultural and social and economic challenges that so often lead to conditions in which abortion is so commonly chosen. We want to work towards creating a community where all people can flourish by the grace of God, and we want to pay special attention to those that the Bible says that we should, including the very young and the very old, immigrants, refugees, the poor, the weak, the broken, those on the margins of society. As God's people, we are for life. Yes, because of that, we oppose taking life and abortion, but we want to be for life in every way. Amen? Amen. So God is creator. He is also sustainer. Verse 16. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So not only did God demonstrate his power through creation and bringing us into the world, but also it says that he sustains our lives. It says all of our days were written in his book. God has planned the specifics of our life. He has planned the number of days that we will be on the earth. Job 14 says a person's days are determined. You've decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. So what does David mean? And he says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before any one of them came to be. Well, let's begin by acknowledging that in one particular sermon, I couldn't begin to unpack such a big concept. And let's also admit, when we're talking about things as it relates to how God operates, we can never totally grasp or understand them. God is above our total comprehension. Doesn't mean we want to try to figure it out and study it and know what Scripture's saying, but let's admit there's some mystery there that we will never fully understand. But I want to share with you a statement from a confession of faith. It's a statement of belief called the Westminster Confession. Uh, It comes from the Reformed tradition. Uh, It's not only Presbyterian, but it comes out of the Presbyterian tradition and tends to be the one that is most emphasized in our, uh, our denomination. And, um, but it's, it's also kind of old, so I want to apologize for the archaic language. I want to read it for you in the original, and then I'm going to give you a little common English version, okay? So, the Westminster says, From all eternity, and by the completely wise and holy purpose of his own will, God has freely and unchangeably ordained whatever happens. This ordainment does not mean, however, that God is the author of sin. He is not. 
that he represses the will of his created beings, or that he takes away the freedom or contingency of secondary causes. Rather, the will of created beings and the freedom and contingency of secondary causes are established by him. Okay, that's a mouthful. So what does all that mean? What's David talking about? What's Paul talking about? We see this language here of, of God, you've planned my life. Well, here's shortly kind of how I unpack it. We have the side. That's the big picture. That's the larger umbrella. That is to say that God is in control of the world and that history and that the plan of God is unfolding according to God's plan, which he knew and is now executing in time and space. And we cannot change or mess up the big picture sovereign plan of God. We can't. That's above, way above our pay grade. God's in control. He is ultimately in control. That's hard. We have to wrestle with a lot of hard things within that. But that's what we believe Scripture teaches, is that God is sovereign over all things. However, within that, we can understand that God has a permissive will. In that God allows us, as human beings, to have a free will and to choose to rebel against him. That's called sin. God allows that. It's still part of his sovereign plan. God was not surprised by that. But he allows us to do that. And there are, there are things and decisions that, that we make. But yet, even within human freedom and decisions that we make, ultimately we have to know that the bigger picture umbrella is that God is still in control. Right? So God's not the author of evil. He allows evil. God allows a lot of things. But him allowing it's not like, oh, okay, I'll let that slide by. Like, it's still part of his big picture plan that he had from the very beginning of the world, and his plans will come to pass. Now, sometimes people processing this can feel like, oh, that feels very stifling. Like, well, if, if God's just in control, then does it matter? Well, yeah, it does matter. God still gives you commands. He says to, to do these things. He says you have a responsibility as a human being. But I want to make the case that knowing that there's a God who's in control of it all, and knowing that I can't mess up his big picture plan, that actually feels very freeing to me. That's not a stifling thing. And in fact, even within God's plan, when God puts uh, rules and laws and commands into place, those rules and laws, they're there to help us to become the people that he's called us to be. They're help, to help us to become truly human and not to fall into the trap and the bondage of sin. So even God's limiting structures are freeing to us. He puts the structure in place to free us to actually become more human, to become who we were created to be. And so I would argue, and these are long conversations, but I think the fact that we believe that God is in complete control of all things at all times is incredibly freeing. It's incredibly comforting. Because I don't know about you, but I'm actually really glad that I'm not the one that's ultimately in control of my life. Because I'm going to mess that up pretty bad. And I try. But I rest in the fact that God is good and he has a bigger picture plan. And we cannot mess up the ultimate plan of God. Amen? One of the statements that Paul makes helps to me capture the joy of this idea that God has planned things ahead of time. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul makes the case that we're saved by grace. It's not through works. But a lot of people, unfortunately, stop short of a verse that comes right after at the end of that argument. In Ephesians 2.10, he says that we are God's 
handiwork, his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's to me the joy of that. Before God even saved me, God already had specific work in mind that he wanted me to do for his glory. That is so cool, is it not? It's amazing. I'm glad God's got a plan because I try to make plans and they're really bad. They're really bad. He has a greater plan. And David is celebrating the fact that God created him. God knows him. God sees more than he sees, knows more than he does. And he celebrates the fact that God has the bigger picture plan in mind. And he wants to lean into that and celebrate it, not run from it. And then his closing thought, verse 18. He finishes with this statement. When I awake, I am still with you. There's two different thoughts on that. One is that he's talking about whether he's asleep or whether he's awake, God is with him. Even when we're asleep and we're not aware of what's happening, God is still in control. Some would actually argue here that it's a reference to the resurrection. David's saying, whether, I, whether I'm this life or the next, when I awake, I know that you are there and you are present with me. Again, God's power as sustainer is connected to his presence with us. This promise that no matter what happens in life or what we go through, he will be with us. I am always with you. So here's my summary of where we've come so far. The God who made us loves us, is always with us, knows everything about us, and has the power to bring about his good purposes in our lives. This is the promise. This is the joy. This is the worshipful celebration of Psalm 139. Could we believe that? And what would it look like for us to live into that reality? Would you join me as we pray together? God, you are good. We believe that. Lord, help us to believe that more and more deeply in the deepest parts of who we are. And God, you are all powerful, and that's a good thing because we can trust that you will always do what is right. And you are everywhere. And God, that is a comfort because you are, again, a good God who loves us and has good intentions for us. And God, you have plans and purposes for our lives, which you decided before the foundation of the world. You decided in your plan that you would make each and every one of us and that we would play a part in your grand sweeping story of redemption. What a joy. What an awesome thing. So God, I pray that you will help us to believe that, help us to live in light of that, help us to experience communion with you out of the joy of knowing you better and having a more accurate idea of your love and your plan for us. God, I pray for my friends that they will believe this incredible truth that you made them and that you are the one that sustains their life. I know there's a lot of people in the room experiencing various kinds of challenges. Lord, I pray that in the coming week that they will experience the power and the work of your Holy Spirit in their lives, helping them, guiding them, comforting them, strengthening them. God, that you would be real to us as you have shown yourself throughout time. God, show us your glory today that we can live lives that glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.